Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Welcome to Live Free Church. I'm Colby. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, thanks for joining us wherever you're at. You know, we've been preaching through a book in the Bible called First Peter. Peter wrote um, this book. He was an eyewitness to Christ. He wrote, he wrote it roughly in about 64 AD um, to Christians who were suffering, struggling for their faith. People who had very uncertain times, kind of like what we're in. You know, I don't even know some days what's going to happen um, this weekend compared to a month from now. We were, we were planning to be a church planted in a theater on April 12th, Easter Sunday, and it, you know, COVID happened, and we've had to have a plan A. So we want to preach through a book where I think people can relate to, um, and it's First Peter. But it's interesting, since the world's changed, um, I don't know if it's just me, but I've received a lot of conspiracy theory videos. I've received a lot of, of different things or, or posts from people in my Facebook or through Instagram, um, or people have emailed them to me. And I don't even know why. It's like, this is like a I just attract conspiracy theory type people, but I don't understand why people have been responding or sharing with me about the, the end times or um, the end is near or this is a sign of biblical prophecy or whatever it is. But I think for some reason that we are, we are gripped. We are kind of like fixated on, on the end, that this has to be maybe the end times. This is a passage today where we're talking about um, the end. Um, when Peter is talking about the end times and what does it actually make us look like as Christians, our lives. Last week, Dave was talking about sin and suffering and how, how the gospel is so radically different than sin. You know, these are great topics, and I think you should go back and listen to this message that David preached, which was really remarkable and incredible. But I think often when people get into moments where they're struggling or suffering, something happens and I think people respond in one of two ways. The first way is that people want to minimize it or they want to medicate it. You know, when you minimize suffering, it looks like trying to forget the pain, forget the struggle, forget that your mortgage is due, forget that the loved one you, that you know is, has a cancer diagnosis. You know, I think re- like even minimizing the fact that maybe one day we'll be back to what it was look, looked like before. Like this, this whole idea of even for the first few months of, of a pandemic, people saying, well, when is it going to go back to normal? Now we don't talk about normalcy anymore. You see, I think sometimes that's why we deal with suffering is we want to minimize it. But another way is medicating it. It's finding comfort in anything other than the process of pain and suffering. It could look like eating too much, drinking too much, spending too much time on Netflix, spending too much time on Twitter, on social media, on TikTok or Instagram. It could look like, um, you know, intermittent fasting, like trying to live forever. Like there's all these ways where we can try to, to medicate the suffering in our lives. And that's kind of how the two ways of how we kind of deal with suffering and pain. But however you deal with it, today I want us to look at how do we live our lives knowing the end is near. And there's kind of two points I just want to kind of hit on is that when you know the end is near, it should give your life significance, meaning, purpose. And when you find your purpose or identity, not in the fact that the end is coming, but the fact that you're becoming more and more and more like Jesus, 
There's two things. One is that you, how knowing the end is near gives your life meaning, gives it a sense of urgency, but it also makes your life look a lot like Jesus when you follow him. So we're looking at a passage of scripture in 1 Peter um, chapter 4, verse 7. And so if you have your Bibles, flip, me, flip there, or if you have an app, um, you can go online and there's a great a Bible app called YouVersion. Just look in the App Store. Um, they have almost numerous different translations you can pick from. But we use the CSB, and we, the reason why we love the CSB is because it's so accurate and it's very readable. Um, so here's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says here, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain a constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter here is saying here is that the the end of all things is near. And actually this Greek word for end really means the goal, purpose, or aim. What it's really trying to say here, Peter's trying to say here, is that the the goal of all things is at hand. Right? The, The truth is that Peter is writing this for these people in that moment who, which were suffering, dying for their faith, the goal of their life was upon them. But it's also true for us. We look at like eternity. Like you look at all of history, the briefness of our life. Like our, they say our life biblically is like a vapor. It's like here today and gone tomorrow. See, the goal of all things, whether you believe in Jesus or not, is at hand. But he also says that we need to be alert and sober-minded. See, when you think about people who are consumed by the end times, but conspiracy theories, right, which usually to do with the predicting the future, right, when you think about these things, is that you, you don't think about people who are calm in their right mind, right? Like, what do you think about? You think about crazy people, people who are crazy, who are thinking like, you know, trying to like read the signs of the times. Like, is this the, this is the end time, right? Like Peter's saying here is, the end of all things, the goal of all things is near. It was true for them in 64 AD, but it's also true for us in 2020. See, people often are grasping for understanding. When you think about like, well, crazy people and they're, fix, when they're fixated on the end times, a lot of times you think about movies or when you come to a sports game like in Vancouver, the you know, Canucks game, you come out and there's usually a guy in a always, there's always a guy who has a placard that says the end is near, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, this guy is cuckoo crazy town. Like, he is a crazy person. But this is often what you think about when you think about the end of the world. You think about people who are crazy, isn't it? Like, even like a Simpsons episode, you think about that, like, you think about when people are fixed in the end, it's crazy people. The world says, if you live as if the end is near, you're crazy. But this text, what Peter's trying to say here, is that it, there's a kind of a paraphrase of this text. It says, it can be translated like this, if you don't live as if the end is near, you're crazy. See, only if you see that the end is near that you get sane. See, knowing that the end is near gives 
your life urgency, purpose, meaning. You get sanity and clarity because your life is moved by what matters most. It gives purpose to your life. See, Peter gives a qualifier here, which I think we should look in this text. It says here, this is the word, therefore. Like, there's a reason why you should be sober-minded and alert in prayer. Right? Like, the goal of all things is near, therefore, be sober-minded. Be alert. Have some urgency in your life in prayer. See, it doesn't, doesn't mean to be more moral or be like this, this godly person. What's trying to say here is, is that there's a, a qualifier that Peter gives and says here, therefore, therefore what Christ did, because of that, you should live your life differently. Right? The reason is there is a therefore. See, if it, any church tells you to behave in a certain way without a therefore, <laughs> it's just moralism at best. Just a set of rules to live your whole life by. Just a set of rules to measure your life by. I think a lot of times, for a lot of people that I find or meet in Kelowna who are like, oh, wow, you're planning a church in Kelowna. It's really cute for you. It's really great. But I've tried that. I never measured up. I think that's what people are trying to say here is that they, in their life, in their faith, they never had a therefore. All they had was just a set of rules. Just try harder, be better, love your neighbor. There was no qualifier. There was no like, therefore. There was no like, therefore, look at what Christ did on the cross. See, at best, it's just a behavior modification for most people. And I think when I meet people who have been raised in the church and who are struggling with their faith, it's because most of their life, and maybe this is like your life right now, is based on just morality. There is no therefore. It's not therefore what Christ did. It's just a set of rules. And here's the thing about Christianity. When you don't measure up to those rules, when you tried your whole life to measure up, you don't measure up, guess what happens? You're like, I'm done. I am done trying to measure up to those standards without having a qualifier that Christ has accomplished all things on the cross. He's, and the, when the goal is is here accomplished, he's going to restore all things and redeem all things. Peter here is saying, therefore live this way because of what Christ did. You see, let me just remind you for a second that Christianity and a modern, more, modern understanding of moralism is different. When someone says, you know, we, we can know nothing about whether there's a God, what the meaning of life is, whether human nature is sinful or not, the nature of moral absolutes in our society, life after death, if that even is a thing. You know, people say we can't know these things, right? There's no moral absolutes, but, but it's interesting that our culture so quickly responds and pushes over and say, well, racism's wrong. Violence is wrong. But sexually, you can do whatever you feel like is right for you. See, in other words, our, our culture, our society is saying here is that moral, morality is not based on a therefore, it's based on nothing. It's based on your own best thinking. The morality is not based on any convictions about the nature of things, the, the order of our world. It's just moral prescriptions to try to live a better life that's baseless on nothing. Therefore, our therefore comes in chapter one of Peter 
verse 13. This is remarkable. When you go back and read through all of 1 Peter, right, it all kind of like flows into each other. That's why it's so important to go back and, and watch David's sermon last week or go back and watch a couple weeks ago. But it therefore shows up in verse 13. It says here, Peter is saying, therefore, with your minds ready for action, pretty remarkable, right? Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like our therefore is, is based not in our own understanding or our own trying. It's based on what Christ did on the cross. G.K. Chesterton, who's an apologist, so he's kind of explaining, defending the faith, at one time said the hardest thing to remember about our time is that it's, it is a time. Right? Like our time is a time. It's brief. It's fleeting. See, if you know, if you know Jesus you're not afraid of the end. Actually, you should be at peace with knowing that the goal of all things is at hand because, you know what? When Jesus said that he will never leave or forsake you, it's a promise that you put your faith in him, not your own good works or your morality or your good deeds, that you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus. But it gives your life a sense of urgency and meaning because guess what? It's already been accomplished. There's a freedom in knowing that your life has been accomplished through Christ. Knowing that the judge can come at any moment to judge all humanity and that your verdict is in and you're free. See, freedom knows, freedom is knowing what's already been accomplished on the cross. See, knowing that the end of, the, the end of all things is near, the goal of all things is at hand, should give your life clarity and urgency, especially in your prayer life. I remember when we first came out to Kelowna, we're planting a church here, and, and we had no idea <laughs> what we were doing, right? Like, we showed up, and we didn't know if anyone was going to come with us. We didn't know um, where we'd find a location at that point. We didn't know if we had funding. We had no idea. And I remember someone said, that's exactly where God wants you to be, Colby, where you're praying constantly, urgently, when you're alert, you have clarity to what you want to see accomplished in Kelowna. It's not all these extra little side hustles or side things, but what you want to see done, especially in your prayer life, is God's kingdom established in Kelowna. Because it already is. There's a lot of great churches in Kelowna. Just look around. But we're saying that there's roughly at least 100,000 people in Kelowna that don't know anything about Jesus. That either are de-churched or unchurched. The people who are sitting there in the living room saying, yeah, you know what, I tried Christianity. It's just a whole bunch of rules, but we want to introduce you to Jesus. That our therefore is not based on you trying harder. It's based on the fact that Christ died on the cross for you. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, it gives the remaining years and days and hours meaning and significance, urgency and purpose. Right? Like, it gives you clarity. I remember once, someone was talking about me writing up my life plan. I wrote this, like, life plan. It was about eight years ago. And um, this, this author said, you know, when you write a life plan, the, f- the first thing you start with, right, is your obituary. I was like, that's crazy. Is Because here's the thing, right? You want to write, like, how does, how does Colby be remembered by his, his wife, Lori? 
by his kids, Beckett, Estelle, and Evie? How's he going to be known as a friend, as a pastor? How's he going to be known? Because then right there, when you, when you understand the end, it allows you to accomplish urgency and clarity in your whole life. The things that actually matter most in your life. Peter moves on to talk about when your lives have urgency and clarity, they should also be, be full of love. That your life starts to look like someone else's life. That your life starts to look like Jesus' life. Because love is a measuring stick of a disciple. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to be a follower of Christ, your life looks like Christ's life and it looks like love. In verse 8, it says here, 1 Peter chapter 4, that above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. See, the only way you can think, think of is, is if, if you've actually had someone cover all your sins, could you think like this? Like, love is so conditional, right? I see marriages all the time where marriages or relationships are transactional, Right? It's like, well, I paid for the mortgage, you're paying for groceries. I paid for the cell phone bills, therefore I get to do this. Like, who talks like this? Like, that's just scorekeeping at best. Stop scorekeeping your marriage. Like, I'm not keeping track of who's unpacked the dishwasher more. It's just when the dishwasher is empty, we have to unpack it. But I think most people, we think about love. It's transactional. It's like, oh, I love you, therefore you owe me something. Like Christ looks at you in all of your sin, in all of your brokenness, the depth of all of that, some of the sin that no one knows about, but maybe just you and God. And Jesus says, I'm going to cover all of that. All of your sin is forgiven. Right? That's how you can love other people. Because what it says here, above all, maintain constant love for one another since, since love covers a multitude of sin. You love other people radically because Christ has covered all of your sins. A few months ago, I was driving back from H2O. It's like this big, huge uh, pool in South Kelowna in Mission. And we were driving to, to the pool. And remember my kids were talking about this because they love going there. We passes there. And they're like, you know what? Um, we just had, we had ice cream in our freezer and our, my kids like, are great negotiators. We're like, okay, when we get home, you know what we want? We want ice cream. Beckett's like, I want chocolate. And my daughter's like, I want vanilla. I'm like, okay, great. You'll get ice cream when you get home because um, we're going out and burning all these calories. It's going to be awesome. And we'll go home and we'll enjoy some ice cream. We spend a couple hours in the pool. I'm trying to get them out. And we get in the van and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my kids are just like, screaming at each other, fighting, you know, like the kids in the very back seat where there's like no like divider, like our two middle seats have like a, an aisle, but the back seats don't. And they're like, they're hitting each other, touching each other. And I remember at one point, all I did was I'm just like, enough, right? Like I am done. I'm tired. It's eight o'clock at night. Like stop. And the kids just got so quiet. And I remember Beckett, he pulled in, he's sitting in the shotgun seat next to me as a driver, pull up into our driveway and the garage door opens up. And I'm just like, I'm just like choked, right? I'm just so mad because they were just like being so crazy and disobedient. And like, the garage door opens and we pull in. And as I pulled in, 
Beckett says this little thing he says here. Like no one's talked, right, on the way home. Beckett says, I guess we don't deserve ice cream. And I remember that moment just being like, yeah, you're not getting ice cream. But I, but I remember thinking like, in this moment, God being like, this is a teachable moment that Colby, you get what you don't deserve. Someone turned around and said, hey kids, guess what? Here's the deal. Do you think you need you do deserve ice cream? They're like, no, we don't. We, we were so bad. We were like yelling and hitting each other. We were being maniacs in the car. I said, but here's the deal. On the cross, you get, you deserve a punishment, but you actually get life because Christ took the punishment for you. And just like right now, you don't deserve ice cream, but guess what? I'm going to give you ice cream. And they're like, oh, okay. And they went and got ice cream and ate it. But I think those are the moments for me, it's like, I can love because Christ loved me when I didn't deserve it or earn it. You want my kids to understand that, that their lives aren't deserved or earned. That in Christ, that they have everything. That when you realize that you get love through Jesus, you don't earn or deserve it, but God poured it out on you, on your life, through a person, a person's Jesus. He literally took the weight and the pain of your sin and your death on the cross. That's why our love covers over others. That's why when you love people radically, it's not transactional. It's not like, oh, I, I love you if you repay me. I love you if you make my life better. That's not the, the answer. It's because Christ first loved you. His love covered over your sin and your brokenness. And that's why it's easier to love others who have wronged you. And that's your therefore. That's the preface of your life. It's Jesus. It quickly moves on to talk about how do you show love, I think, in a, in a pandemic, when you understand what your therefore is. When you understand your therefore is Jesus, and it covers a multitude of all these, these wrongdoings of other people, your neighbors who, are, who could be your, your friends or your enemies. But it says here in verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be of the, from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You know, here's two traits, I think, of a church that, that every church needs in times of intense suffering or struggling. One is hospitality, right? Like, open your doors. I remember years ago, this, this church planning course in downtown Vancouver, we're in Yale Town, and people said that, that 75% of people never had someone over in their house for dinner. Like, I don't know if that's like in Kelowna, but I know that Kelowna is famous for their happy hours, that people go out to Browns or Cactus Club. They go out for drinks, but I don't know if people actually have people in their home. Like, if you want to be a part of a movement, maybe it means just opening the door of your house and saying, come on in. Yeah, like, my, my life might not be as perfect as my Instagram story. It might not look as, as perfect when my piles of laundry sit on the couch, but I'm going to invite you into my life, and that means the good and the bad. It means serving others. It means sharing your space. I think a church needs to be marked by hospitality in a time of intense struggle. 
you know, one of the things that we've done really well, my wife, wife does this really well, is just allows people into our space. She invites people into our, into our home, no matter what it looks like. <laughs> There's some days where I'm like, people are coming over in an hour? Like, are you serious? Like, let's close all the doors, right? Let's um, make sure they don't go downstairs. Let's, <laughs> like, that's what I think about. But here's the reality, my wife reminds us all the time, is that we seem to be hospitable to people. People need a place to belong. And it could be your house. It should be your house. It should be the way you serve people, the way you treat people when they come into your space. The second thing is truth, speaking the words of God. See, the truth for us isn't our own best thinking or um, great morals. It's the gospel. It's a you're a sinful and broken person. And because of Jesus, you get life and life to the full. I think in this moment, so often we feel weak, helpless. But let's all try to find strength in Christ, in him alone. Knowing that the goal is near, that Christ will come to restore and redeem all things. Because when you see the briefness of your life, when you see that your life is just a vapor here today and gone tomorrow, that you would make sure that your life is is more about Jesus than about your own understanding or your own fame, your own glory. So it says here in the very end here, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. It's about Jesus' life. It's about his life, not your life. Like, I said this the other day, like, I don't even know who my great-grandparents' names are. Like, two or three generations from now, no one's even know that you existed. Like, there'll just be some archived video on YouTube. I remember a couple of months ago, I sat with a beautiful family as a husband and father and a friend of mine passed away. In seeing someone in their final moments of their life, next to a house they built, and the property they had, man, it made me have clarity. Clarity on knowing what is significant. Like the last moments of his life were just so purposeful and so profound. It's almost like in an orchestra, right? When they're like orchestrating the music and it's just so intentional. But the outside, it looks so chaotic, but in the reality of it, it's so controlled and organized. And I think our friends seeing him in his last moments made me realize that nothing really matters except for God, except for Jesus. To see him passed away next to the house he built. He can't bring that house with him. He'll see his family one day in heaven. But there's an urgency and a clarity to a life in its last moments. See, I don't know what's going to happen to you a moment from now. But in this moment, you can be changed and transformed by God. I don't know where you're at in Kelowna, but you can be changed and transformed by Jesus in this moment by just saying, God, I put my faith in you. I trust you. My faith is in the object of your life on the cross, your life, your death, your resurrection. I want to be changed by that. Imagine if we live like that, moment to moment, a sense of urgency, clarity, like, that's the kind of people I want to be around. That's the kind of church I want to plant and be a part of. People who are passionately pursuing Christ at all costs. 
that I pray that today we'd have clear eyes to see the briefness of our life. That we live with a sense of urgency. That we'd have big hearts for our friends and our neighbors because God forgave us so much. See, what have we got to lose in Kelowna? What do we have to lose? Nothing. We have nothing to lose here. We can't lose because Christ has already won. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you've called every person, how you know their names. You know when we were born. You know when we're going to die. Lord, that we can have a sense of urgency in our life that we don't have to be scared of the frailty of our life. That our life, we don't have to be fearful that our life is just a moment. That we can actually have our, give our life urgency and significance and meaning because the end, the goal of all things is at hand. And it's you coming back to restore and redeem all things. It says in Romans that all creation is groaning to be restored. And I think deep down, when I go to a funeral and see someone who's died, that there is an element where we're groaning to see things restored, to see people we love who know you. Father, some people out there might not know you. I pray that they'd actually understand how to put their faith and trust in you, that we don't know what's going to happen a moment from now, that I could leave this space and have a heart attack and die. Like, we don't know the briefness of our life, but I pray that we would understand the brief moments we have left and they give us urgency and purpose, not fear. That we'd find freedom knowing you and you alone, Jesus, is the person that our life gets to be all about. That my life doesn't have to be about just Colby. It gets to be about your glory and your kingdom established in Kelowna forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.